Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs for ASA. On this episode, my guest is Mike Lum with the Captain Rollo's Kids at Sea program. Over the last year or so, we at ASA have been spending a lot of time helping to develop the Youth Coastal Fishing Program Act, a new federal bill aimed at helping to take kids fishing. The bill would create a new grant program within the National Marine Fisheries Service, which manages federal marine fisheries, to support programs that take kids fishing in the ocean or Great Lakes, with a particular emphasis on those in underserved communities. I wanted to do a deeper dive on the importance of supporting programs that create these opportunities for kids. It's a whole lot more than just the fishing. Mike has a lot of experience helping to take thousands of kids out on the water for their very first ocean fishing experience. And as you'll hear, these have been life-changing experiences for many of these kids, providing benefits far beyond just the one-time experience. I'm sure you will enjoy this one. So let's dive in. All right. On this episode of the Politics of Fish podcast, I'm uh, pleased to be joined with uh, joined by my good friend Mike Lum to talk uh, less on the politics side of, of uh, the fishing world and... Um, just a really positive, um, you know, upbeat history story of, um, you know, a really important program in California and lots of these going on around the country to help um, pass the, the the sport of fishing on to the next generation. And um, and Mike's the fundraising coordinator with Friends of Rollo, uh, Captain Rollo's Kids at Sea program, and uh, wanted to have him on. We've had a, a lot of attention lately at ASA and in Congress with a new bill called the Youth Coastal Fishing Program Act that uh, would create a grant program to fund the types of programs that we're going to talk about today that are aimed at getting kids, especially those from, um, you know, maybe tougher backgrounds, underserved communities that don't have these experiences uh, to get out on the water as, as, as many of us have been able to have those opportunities put before us. Um, so help reduce some of those barriers and help pass this wonderful sport that we all love on to future generations. So Mike, uh, thanks for taking time to, to talk to us and looking forward to uh, to get some insights from you. Well, it's my pleasure, and I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to share the story of this nonprofit that was formed all the way back in 1999 now. So we've been doing this for a long time, and we do touch and reach a lot of kids with this program, Mike. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I guess before we get into the the, the program, Mike, just a little bit uh, about you and uh, and your background in the industry, and and particularly how you've gotten involved in the the Captain Rollins program. Well, my background has always been in recreational fishing. Uh, I've been uh, here in California, Southern California specifically, uh, forever, both in retail, wholesale distribution, uh, and consumer show production. Um, for a uh, number of years, worked directly hand-in-hand with the American Sport Fishing Association and uh, continue to serve uh, them in helping produce the new product showcase at ICAST each year. So um, I have always been in the in the sport fishing community in one, one way or, or another. So how did, you mentioned 1999, so how did Captain Rollo's Kids at Sea program uh, get started? Well, we, uh, we're all familiar with the, with the term, take a kid fishing. You know, that's a slogan, a moniker that's been used for, for decades. And uh, nobody ever, I don't think, really nailed it down. I'm not sure we have to this day. But the concept of taking youth out and exposing them to the ocean or to lakes, fishing in general, we have all believe is, is a worthwhile thing that needs to be done. How else are you going to get people to take over when, when we're no longer around? And so um, 
Back in 1999, there was a very popular sport fishing captain who passed away. And um, shortly after that, a group of his buddies got together and said, you know, this is tragic. We've lost one of the guys that was, you know, kind of leading the charge. And uh, he loved, loved kids. He loved, of course, being on the ocean. He captained a boat called the Royal Polaris, which is to this day still a premier long-range fishing boat out of San Diego. And uh, so his buddies got together within a week or two of his passing and said, we're going to do something to keep his name and, and memory alive. And so they quickly formed a nonprofit called Friends of Rollo. And uh, Rollo's actual name was James Hine. Um, and uh, he had a nickname of Rollo. And, and that way, everybody knew him as Rollo. To this day, a lot of people don't know his his real name. But uh, when he passed away, these friends quickly formed this organization and said, we're going to raise money and we're going to take kids out and, and we're going to call this Friends of Rollo. And so they, they did that. And, uh, and of course, it was immediately successful because it was fresh in everybody's mind. Where the challenge came was after a couple of years went by, it was like, how do, how do they keep the revenue coming in to pay for these trips to keep these kids going? And, and so they came up with a series of different annual fundraisers and the, the organization did okay. It just, you know, it did okay. It stayed going and, and the name was growing a little bit and some of the real close friends were still involved, but many, many years had gone by and, and more of us started getting involved. And although I was, I was uh, a supporter of the cause way back when, I wasn't involved. And uh, so one day I was talking to the director, who at the time was a gentleman by the name of John Rowe, who has also since passed away, but he was integral in keeping Friends of Rollo growing. And uh, it was one of those typical stories where it's, hey, John, you know what you guys ought to do? And he looked at me and he said, you know, you have all kinds of good ideas. I think you ought to come over and help us. And of course, it, that created a little bit of a chuckle because we all hate that when someone's going to tell us here's a great idea. Here's what you ought to do. And, and I was guilty of that. So I rolled up my sleeves and got involved. And um, some of the ideas that I brought, uh, they liked. And uh, so we started doing different types of fundraisers. And so to this day, um, we continue to operate under the nonprofit name Friends of Rollo. However, the ocean going trips where we take kids on their first ocean adventure those trips are called Captain Rollo's Kids at Sea, and we often brand the organization that way simply because to the novice or person that's not really close to this subject, it's a much better name to explain what this program does. And, and what it does is it takes kids from all walks of life, and it puts them on the ocean on a boat um, with the supervision and the gear and the equipment they need to experience a day on the water to see what the ocean offers, to see the magic that is on the ocean. And it's hard to believe, but here in Southern California, um, we, have, we have huge amounts of people. We have very large audience. Unfortunately, many of these kids are so underserved that they live within 20 miles of the ocean have never seen the water. They have never actually seen it. They've seen it on television, but they've never actually experienced it. And that is really hard to believe, but that is very, very common story when we gather these kids and take them out for the first time. They are, it is a life-changing experience for many of the kids that, that we take. So you mentioned San Diego. So what region um, does the program cover? Is it uh, all of Southern California? It, it's actually all of 
all of uh, the southernmost part of the state. We start in San Diego, or the, the organization's actually headquartered out of San Diego. However, we probably take more trips out of the Orange County area, which would be like maybe 100 miles north of San Diego area. And then we go all the way up to the San Francisco Bay area. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, way, the way we determine that is there has to be some type of a sport fishing landing that has charter boats available. This, is, this doesn't work well with the smaller boats that only take six people or something like that. We need an actual sport fishing boat that will accommodate 35, 45, 60 people um, and so we identify those landings up and down the coast. And then as we grant trips to these different groups of children, their organization uh, are responsible for getting the kids to and from the landing. Our responsibility is to charter the boat on the day that they need it and to provide the uh, fishing tackle and the lunch. We serve them a hot lunch every, every trip that goes out. And then, of course, uh, we've got to make sure that we pay for all of the crew and the tips and and all the things that go along with that. So the organization that is granted the trip, their expense is limited to getting the kids to and from the sport fishing landing. And our responsibility is to take care of everything else, which we do. Um, And currently we are averaging about a hundred of these charters per year. And so we figure that depending on the year and how large the trips really are, um, we're in that neighborhood of four to to 5,000 kids a year actually get on a boat as a result of this program. And we have been doing that now for so many years that we have, uh, we have reached the 145,000th kid mark. In fact, I think we're actually pressing the 150,000th kid mark. Um, and when you stop and think about that, um, those are actual kids that made it onto a boat for the first time with the money that's raised at grassroots level. We do not have any large corporate donations, unfortunately. Uh, everything we do is raised um, 10 and $20 bills at a time. And it takes a lot of them, especially with the price of fuel today, to keep that number up. But thus far, we've been able to do it. It's, uh, it's really incredible and pretty eye-opening numbers. Um, so just to jump into the the details a little bit more. So you mentioned the organization. So what type of entities, organizations do you all work with to, I, I guess, make that connection between the trip and the kids? Well, we open the door to anybody. We don't have any, we don't have anything specific, but uh, it's evolved. You know, it, it, we started in the early days. Um, we did, it seemed like we were doing more church groups um, I'm not sure exactly why uh, we don't we don't spend a lot of money marketing this, so it is kind of a word of mouth kind of a deal. And honestly, we we uh, we're challenged to meet the demand. Uh, we have more groups that would love to go, and uh, we're just not at a level financially that we can take on a lot more at this moment. So we tend to spend all the money that we raise, and then at that point we kind of we kind of taper off t- taking new groups until <laughs> until we find more money or more ways to raise money. So, uh, for instance, uh, public schools. Uh, we have a number of teachers who have found out about our program, and they, they have just fallen in love with the idea that they have an access now to, to say to their kids that at the end of the year, they're going to be able to take class out on a on an ocean fishing trip. And uh, we have a couple of teachers specifically down in the San Diego area. Uh, one gentleman who teaches fifth grade 
he has he is now on his 18th year of taking his class and other teachers classes uh, out on the ocean for the first time just last week he did five trips back to back one each day all all of last week taking the various classes uh, from from his school and, and another school out and um, because he's been doing that for so long the school that he teaches at that has become kind of a focal point so as the younger kids come up they're looking forward to getting into his class and they know that if they keep their grades up and they do their homework and then don't and they don't misbehave they're going to get the opportunity to get out on the ocean and he's really used that for many years to keep the kids focused and and incentivized to to get out on the water and i just saw some wonderful pictures from him uh last week he was sending them over and and to see these kids out but we have a we have public schools, we have youth uh, homes where kids sometimes that don't even have parents are being cared for by, a, by another nonprofit that does that. And uh, we work with them to take their kids out. And uh, those are the ones that really pull at your heartstrings. When you see these kids that just don't have much and uh, they get a chance to get out on the boat and, uh, and see things, they get to see the seals the sea lions rather, and they get to see the, the various shorebirds and they get to see this live sardines in the bait tank. And, and it's like, we see it all the time. We don't give it much thought, but it's the first time they've ever seen it when the boat's pulling out of the Harbor and they see the starfish on the rocks or they see the, the sidewinder crabs running across. They don't get to see any of that ever. And uh, so the sights and sounds and smells of the ocean uh, are something that they'll, they'll carry with them. I'm sure their entire life. It just simply wouldn't happen if it wasn't for this group uh, doing doing these kinds of things. So fishing is an element, but honestly, it almost takes a back seat to their marine awareness, their marine life awareness. Uh, many of the groups are fortunate enough to see dolphins and and occasionally whales. And uh, where would they ever experience that if it wasn't for this for this group? And so uh, anybody that applies to us, we uh, we try to say yes to as long as we know these are kids are not uh, uh, previously experienced, meaning, you know, we don't want to take kids out whose, whose dad has a boat and takes them out every week. And that's not the purpose of this. It's just to expose kids that have never had this opportunity and probably wouldn't if not for this program. And uh, like I say, we do about a hundred of these charters a year. I, I don't know that there's any entity that charters more boats a year than we do. Uh, that's that. I don't know who it would be. I don't think anybody's remotely close to that. Uh, so you mentioned. I mean, that's really cool to hear. Working in the schools, what a huge incentive this is for kids to behave, do well academically. You know, to to move towards this goal. On the flip side of that, uh, in your experience, do you see and do you have any like stories that come to mind of kids that? go on this experience and then afterwards like the impression it's left on them to where it may have altered to some degree the course of of their life or just the the experience the opportunity exposing them to something that they had never had before Did, does it end up having longer term effects beyond just being this really cool event that they got to do one time there's there's absolutely no question uh, a couple thoughts popped into my head as you asked that uh one uh, thought that comes to mind is we now have been doing this long enough that there are people now running boats. They are licensed captains taking people on, on fishing trips on a regular basis who the very first time in their life ever 
experience the ocean was on a Captain Rollo Kids at Sea trip. So that's a testament to the fact that, A, we've been doing this for a long time, but two, how powerful this can be to certain people. And, you know, you take an eight-year-old kid out on the ocean for the very first time and he falls in love with the ocean and he is mesmerized by all that is out there. And he loves it enough that all he wants to do is get back on the water and that grows rapidly into a passion that turns him into a lifelong waterman and he makes his living now on the ocean. Um, that is pretty telling when you think about how that can impact these kids. And so that's one side of it. The other side of it is some of the city groups, the inner city groups that we take out come from very, very harsh living conditions. And they get to see a side of life that they otherwise wouldn't. And uh, there are so many stories of, of uh, the leaders of those schools, the leaders of those kids who, who tell us that they had a kid that was absolutely pointed in the wrong direction. He was constantly in trouble. He had gang affiliations. It was as clear as day where this kid's life was headed. And taking him on one of these trips made, and I say him, I don't mean one, I mean many, see that there is a bigger, better opportunity out there, but they just have to turn their life around. And they do. And uh, we hear the stories on a regular basis. So both sides of the coin, you've got some kid that comes from a, we'll just say somewhat normal background who falls in love with the ocean and becomes a captain and does it the rest of his life. And then on the flip side, you've got a kid that's probably going to end up in prison. And he turns his life around because he realizes he can. And uh, he finally gets it, having teachers and instructors and coaches yell at them and tell them, you got to do better, you got to do better, doesn't mean much. But when they experience it for themselves for the first time, uh, it's powerful and it does change, does change some of them. It's, yeah, it's remarkable. It just, you know, I think a lot of us sort of take it for granted, spend enough time out there that, um the first time you get to experience it, um, it it can have a pretty substantial impact on you, especially given the, the well, backgrounds I, I, that some of these kids I have. Was out, I, I was out on a trip about a, I think it was last summer, and it was an it was a it was a trip that had a little lighter load than normal. There were supposed to be two groups sharing the boat, and something happened, and so there was only one. And so we only had about fifteen kids, which is really unusual. Um, and uh, so I had a lot of opportunity to spend time with some of these kids. And there were two in particular that I was helping fish and they were asking questions and I was just telling them, you know, what I could tell them. And all of a sudden the one kid realized he saw a kid eating a hamburger and he looked at me and he said, do I get a hamburger? And I said, well, of course you can have whatever you want. Just go order it. So he turned, he just handed me his rod and rail. It was the line was still in the water. He handed to me and just immediately walked towards the galley. And he reached into his pocket and he took out a crumpled couple of dollars. And one of the other people there, the volunteers, looked at him and said, you don't need, you don't need to pay for this. Put your money away. I, I think it's the first time in that kid's life that somebody said he could just walk up to the win window and order food and he wasn't going to have to pay for it. He wasn't going to have to worry about it. He was like, you could just tell by the look on his face, he was just stunned. 
it's like, what is this? I come out here, I see all this stuff. I get to eat a hamburger. I, it, he, you could just tell that the, the light bulb came on in that kid's head that there is more to life than what he's been experiencing. And we're talking about a hamburger. We're not talking about, you know, something spectacular. So um, it's, it's very interesting to watch these kids. Uh, one of the, the, the most important to me, the most important role of our organization is held by a man named Howard Coolidge. He's a retired police officer who absolutely loves to fish and he loves helping kids. And he does all of our trip bookings, all of them. And um, so anytime someone calls and wants to know about a trip, I always point them to Howard. And not much phases Howard. He spent his entire career as a, as a police officer in Southern California. So you can imagine there's not much he hasn't seen. He called me up a couple of years ago and he said, well, he said, I finally got a request that I almost couldn't talk about. And I said, what, you, what, what happened? He said he got a phone call from an organization based in San Diego and said they had just heard that there was some group that would take their kids fishing. And they wanted to know if that was true. And he said, well, that is absolutely true. We pay for everything. He said, tell me a little bit about your organization. They proceeded to tell him that what they do is they take care of children who have lost both parents in the cartel drug wars on the border. So they have an entire facility that is doing nothing but taking care of these kids, trying to find relatives that could take them, trying to find foster homes. But somebody's taking care of them. And some of them have lost their parents within, I mean, like within the last few weeks. It's not like, you know, years ago. And so, of course, we granted them, you know, not only that trip, but encouraged them to come up with you know, other kids, we would be happy to repeat the process as many times as possible to get all the kids out there. But that's the kind of stuff that, that comes our way. You know, it's like, if you're willing to pay for these trips, those kids uh, have a whole different mindset than the kids we were talking about a moment ago, right? These kids are talking, they get to understand how they're going to live the rest of their life, not whether they're going to be a boat captain when they grow up. So we get it from all walks of life, all levels from the, from as rough as it gets to the local boy scout troop who the kids are doing just fine, but they've never had a chance to go in the ocean. We take them all. So maybe an obvious question, but why is it, I mean, so obviously there's a lot of just broader societal benefits to doing these types of programs. You're, you know, fishing sort of the reason to go, but as you said earlier, these kids are exposed to, uh, natural environments they've they've never seen before never been able to interact with before but you know looking back to the sport fishing industry itself you know i think a lot of us feel this compulsion to want to pass this on to future generations because we've enjoyed it so much and have gained so much from it but you know i, I think what's particularly interesting with what you all are doing with the communities you're working with is um being able to work with diverse audiences, underserved communities, um, kids that, you know, come from different ethnic economic backgrounds. What's the value or do you see value as an industry in programs like Captain Marlowe's Kids at Sea that go make that extra effort to connect those kids to fishing that, that might not otherwise get it because of the barriers that otherwise exist to, to, to allowing them to access the ocean. Sort of what's in it for industry well, here? 
Here's what I would say is the obvious is not really how I view it. The obvious is goes back to the, the, the slogan of take, kid, take a kid fishing. I think when that was originally drummed up, it was an idea to say, you know, if we're going to perpetuate the industry, we got to have customers. So we need to plant seeds now so that 10 years, 20 years from now, there's somebody that wants to go fishing. Well, okay. I mean, that makes sense. But even then, when I first heard that, I said, wouldn't it make more sense to take your neighbor fishing, to take your, your church member fishing, to take your boss fishing, to take your coworker fishing? Because we have a lot of adults that don't fish and they could be, they could be customers next week. And they, in turn, could take their kids fishing. Well, it never really caught on, right? Take your neighbor fishing. Never, I don't, nobody's ever heard that. But the way I look at it is this. It's a much bigger picture. We have heavy regulations here in California. We have people that would say that, uh, that uh, California does everything it can to restrict recreational fishing rather than enhance it and expand it. Well, this is a way to help some of those legislators understand that there is more to this than just a bunch of guys going out and catching fish and bringing them in and so that they can create more regulations to control us. This is a lot more important than that. This is a life-changing experience for a lot of these kids. And if the landings did not exist, and they only exist for recreational angling, if they didn't exist because we've regulated them out of business, these kids would not be able to do this. So I look at it as a kind of a bigger picture. We all need, we all need to make sure that we have access to go fishing. We don't want the ocean closed off. We don't, we don't want to be kicked off. We don't want to be put out of business. We don't want recreational fishing to go away. Not just because we all love it and we make our living doing it, but because there's a lot more of society that needs to know what is out there. And the only way they're going to get out there is with recreational fishing. So many of the regulations that are passed discount that. Who's keeping an eye on things? It's, it's the recreational sport fishing fleet. We have a couple hundred boats up and down our coast that are on the water nearly every single day. And they're carrying anywhere from 20 to 50 passengers. That's a lot of set of eyeballs keeping a lie, keeping an eye on what's going on. That would all be gone if we are regulated out of this. So it's a bigger picture to me. And having these kids exposed to what's out there not only helps them grow and understand and appreciate the ocean environment, doesn't mean they're all going to become fishermen. It doesn't mean they're all going to become customers. Enough of them will. That's all that matters. They will keep the interest level high. And that will hopefully work to our advantage of keeping access open. So to me, it's a much bigger thing. Um, very rarely in California, on the media, do you ever see anything about recreational fishing, unless it's something bad. Somebody gets caught doing something, that'll make headlines. But you don't see it promoted. You don't see it talked about. There's people that live right here and amongst us, you know, tens of millions of people right here in Southern California that have no idea that we have world-class fishing off our coast, that we're catching two to 300 pound bluefin tuna nearly, nearly year round. And people don't have a clue because that's not something that's promoted here. And we just don't tell the general public that. So if we don't do a good job promoting it and we don't get these kids involved, the whole thing could easily just 
dissolve over the, over the future years. And I think it's very important that it doesn't. The ocean has a lot to offer. Yeah, I mean, I hope that the, the kids that you all take, um, you know, for the ones that are heading in the wrong direction, this can be a life path altering um, experience that, that you know, helps set them in, in the right direction. I, I hope that uh, a large chunk of them become lifelong anglers and, you know, develop that passion. But at a minimum, I hope, and I believe this probably does happen for a large chunk of them, that even if they don't take this on as a, as a lifelong hobby, that down the road, when fishing comes up, that they remember the experience and they have a fond association with it. And um, it's not a totally foreign, I don't know what that is. I don't care about it. Uh, I don't like fish. You know, that that there's that connection that the, that these kids will always have as they get older, that um, when well, fishing I, I comes up, very, it'll I, resonate I, with them. I feel very strongly that the, what you just said is is really, really important that it normalizes it. It makes it something that although they may not, right? I, I'm personally not a golfer, right? But I'm exposed to golf all the time. It's a very normal, very positive, very good thing. And I, I the problem with fishing is these days, you know, back, back, you know, not, not that many years ago, you would go into just about any department store or drugstore chain and you'd find fishing tackle. And even though you may not be there to buy fishing tackle, it was always every single time you went into a store, you were exposed to it. It seemed normal. Lots of people fish. Otherwise, there wouldn't be fishing stuff in these stores. And now that's not the case, right? Most of those stores no longer carry fishing tackle. So how's a kid going to ever even know that that's a thing? And and so I think the more exposure we can give, the, the better uh, I know firsthand, Mike, I don't spend a lot of time talking about this, but I know firsthand my my father passed away when I was eight years old. Now, he had no interest in fishing that I'm aware of, but when he was gone, um, the neighbor across the street recognized that, that I needed some help, and that guy liked to fish. So he was the one that took me out on the ocean for the very first time, and I was about nine years old, and I remember that trip very vividly, um, and it literally literally pointed me in a direction that I was always going to be involved in fishing. And if you talk about changing someone's direction in life, here I was, you know, an only kid whose dad just died and whose mom now had to go to work. What chances did I have back then if I didn't, if I wasn't pointed in the right direction on that one man pointed me in that right direction. So I think we're doing that with tens of thousands of kids now. Well, that's um, it's a really neat story to hear, and obviously helps drive, I'm sure, a lot of your your personal motivation for being as involved as involved as you have been in this. So, well, Mike, this has been a really really cool conversation. A lot more um, enjoyable for me than talking about right whale vessel speed restrictions or or lead fishing tackle or some of the other topics we have coming up. So, I've um, really enjoyed this, and uh, and so if if folks um, want more information on the Captain Rollo's Kids at Sea program, especially folks in the industry that might like what they're hearing and, and may want to get involved. Um, where can, where can people go if they want to find out more information? If they would just visit uh, our website, which they can find at rollokids.org, R-O-L-L-O kids, plural, dot O-R-O-R-G. And on there, you will not only uh, see some upcoming events and all that, but if you want to make donations, if you want to find out more, if you want to apply for a trip, 
it's all done right there. And if you have any questions, uh, there's a number of email addresses there. Just send off a note or give us a call and we'll answer any questions we can. If anybody is out there that wants to get involved and help us on a sponsorship level, we do fundraising all year long in a lot of different ways. And we're always looking for help. And uh, we don't need giant uh, we don't need giant checks. We just need some help. And we do a lot of work at grassroots level. Uh, and we are very, very good at raising money $20 at a time, but we can always use all the help we can get. Great. Well, and we'll include the link in, in the show notes. Um, well, thanks, Mike, for all the work you're doing. Um, you know, really, really great stuff. And uh, appreciate you sharing it with us, especially in the context, again, of kind of larger national level work we're doing at ASA to support to, to create legislation to support programs just like this and and really help scale this up. As you said earlier, um, yeah, the 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 demand is there. And and if you had more resources, you'd you'd be able to take more kids fishing. So um hopefully we can all help work towards that end. And and there's there's plenty more kids out there that could use these experiences. So so thanks Mike for joining and uh look forward to staying in touch and and keep up all the great work. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, we'll see you at iCast. Absolutely. See you here in a few weeks. Thanks, Mike. Thanks again to Mike for taking the time to visit with us and share some informative and heartwarming insights into the power of taking kids fishing for the first time. Once again, if you want more information about the Captain Rollo's Kids at Sea program, visit captainrollos.org. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode, but in the meantime, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share the Politics of Fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening and tight lines.